The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we have a special guest on the show today, James Herbert of CBS Sports. James has been a feature writer for a very long time, was kind enough to carve out an entire hour where we delve into the process of writing about the league, how he chooses his subjects, and what he learned from profiling such under-the-radar stars such as Jose Alvarado, Scotty Barnes, to superstars like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Pascal Siakam. It was a fascinating conversation. I learned a ton. Can't wait to get into it. So do me a favor, my man. Drop that beat. First and foremost, again, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I think you've got one of the funniest feeds on Twitter. Thank you. One of the most... It's a cool feed, right? It's got all this stuff. I, I try to keep up on it, even some things that make it on your feed. I'm like, oh, man, I haven't seen that before. I think NBA Twitter is the best part of Twitter, you know, one of the best at mm-hmm. least. What do you think happens to that community if Twitter goes away? I, I'm terrified. I have no idea. I don't know where I'm going to go to talk about basketball with people who I don't like know personally um i mean i've got like group texts i think like everybody's got i got my work slack and some other stuff like that but like i don't know i don't want to be on like nba reddit all day but maybe i'll have to be maybe i'll have to learn how to use discord i have no idea i don't i never even installed the app um i'm honestly like i'm not sure like i was watching last night everybody was talking about i mean i was watching games and then i was also listening to one of those twitter spaces which had like twenty thousand people on it talking about what might happen generally um people talking about moving to mastodon and all of this stuff that's another thing i've i've yet to try and i'm just thinking like if that's if this is the end that that sucks because like I mean, a lot of my professional opportunities have come directly because of Twitter. I met my wife on NBA Twitter. Like, that's why I live in Brooklyn. That's why I'm here. Like, yeah, like. No fucking This is way. like, yeah. Like, so I don't, I mean, on the one hand, like, well, at least like Twitter was around. So that could happen. So maybe it served its purpose for me. But on the other hand, like, this actually is meaningful to me. I know it's stupid. I'm mostly just saying dumb stuff and making jokes and whatever. But like, it is like genuinely been a huge part of my adult life. I think I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter because so much of it is toxic. But then when Mm -hmm. you realize it could just go away completely, you're like, well, where am I going to make fun of LeBron? Like, for lying. Like, where (laughs) are the memes going to go? I wonder if we're all sort of feeling that, that I guess it's like a pre-loss. You know, we haven't lost it yet, but we kind of feel like we're going to. And we're not really sure how we're going to connect if it does go away. You're one of my favorite feature writers in the NBA. How do you, you. Uh, how do you go about picking a subject? Like, 
could you share some, shed some light on your process of how you write a story? Sure. I mean, part of it is just like, if there's a player I find interesting for whatever reason, um, and I feel like there's a story to be told that's like a little bit different or I haven't, maybe I just don't know that much about the guy. Or maybe I know some things, but I'm curious about other things. Like I'll then go and start researching and seeing what other people have written and seeing like, is there something I can add to this? Is there something that I don't know? Um, then I'll try to pursue it. A lot of times it's not much more complicated than like, I like watching this player and I think I could do a feature on him well. Um, like the most recent one I did was Jose Alvarado. And like last year, I think like a lot of people, um, I didn't really know anything about him when he first like got in the Pelicans rotation. Like when I first saw his name, like he wasn't somebody I was paying attention to before the draft. He went undrafted, but I, I saw him play. I was like, well, this guy, like he plays so freaking hard. Like he is really fun to watch. And then as the season went on, it was like, all right, like this guy is a super fan favorite. He seems like he has an awesome personality. He like clearly has a cool story. And I was just like, I'm, I'm definitely profiling him one day. Like I just kind of like said that to myself, it didn't end up happening last year, but like the Pelicans were like literally the first game on the regular season schedule here in Brooklyn. And I, I knew I was just like, I'm going to request him and try to make it happen. And then I'll, I'll go from there. And that was, that was like sort of a passion project. Like nobody, like I didn't have an editor assigning me a Jose Alvarado story, but like, I just wanted to write about Jose Alvarado because I like, watching him play and I thought there was something to be done there. Um, other times it, it could just be that like I've watched somebody and I've noticed something about their game that is interesting and like they've been written about one way and I thought and I think I could add to it by focusing on something different or like whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of ways you can like start, but I think you like it has to start from a place of like genuine curiosity and it has to start from a place of like I want to do this like <laughs> i want because if you're going to like do one of these and write like a fairly long one um rather than just like just like bust out a column or whatever which like i do as well but if i'm going to invest the time to do a profile like i want to actually find this person interesting i don't want it to feel like it's a slog and i'm just doing it because it's my job like these things are hard. Some of them, like last year, I wrote a story that went up like right at the end of the regular season um, on Scotty Barnes. And the first interview I did was like the first week of the season. And it just, it, I didn't think it was going to take that long, but that just kind of happened. And sometimes it is like, sometimes it's literal months. How, how come? Is it just because you have to, it takes you down a direction and then you have to find sort of a people who would, you know, help shed light on the thing that you're you know, delving into, like, for example, with Alvarado, you, you had to speak with Fred Van Fleet, or is, is that the reason why, or, or why does the, the writing process take so long? Yeah, well, part of it is probably on me and probably shouldn't take that long in some of these instances where it's taking me like months and months. Um, but uh, yeah, usually it's, it's related to access. Usually it's related to like, I don't think I can tell this story properly without getting like maybe a follow-up interview with the player, or maybe it's an old coach or something that I haven't talked to yet, or a teammate that I want to get when the team comes back to town or whatever it is. But usually, yeah, usually it's just like, I have like, I'll start transcribing my stuff and look at what I got and try to outline it. And I'm like, I'm almost there, but like, I need a little bit more. And then the other part of it is, Sometimes it's just I'm working on multiple things at the same time and I'm 
busy with other stuff and like the the like not super urgent not super time set time sensitive profile is the thing that ends up getting pushed back because if i have to like go to a i don't know like go to a nets practice and write about the latest Kyrie incident then like that's what i'll do that day instead of like making a phone call about jose alvarado or whatever right well i wanted to kind of mention some of the the articles you wrote that i wanted to hear a little bit more about uh you mentioned the scotty barnes article and that was published on april 8th before he won rookie of the year and you yeah. said you know you started working on it the first week of the season um what did you find interesting about him and and what did you find interesting or memorable that didn't make the piece mm. like everything is my first answer like i was captivated by scotty barnes i was interested in him before the draft because i read a few like that was the other thing is like it was sort of intimidating working on that one so one of the reasons that took a while was i had all these like great long form scotty barnes profiles that like i was competing with like if i was going to put something out there i had to have some stuff that wasn't in the other ones um but i read those stories and i was like this kid is not like a normal um you know depending on when they were written 18 year old 19 year old what whatever it was um kid like he was a guy that was talking about like being a magic johnson fan he was a guy who i mean he was picked fourth in the draft but was coming off the bench for most of the season at florida state and was like happy with it not complaining about it um he was a guy that oftentimes when people were kind of trying to explain why he was viewed so highly despite these like supposed flaws in his game like why okay this guy is not necessarily a one-on-one -on -one scorer yet based on what he's done in college um he's not necessarily ever going to be like a go-to guy and and whatever this is like to be clear the scouting reports at the time i think he showed more of that in the nba but at the time it was like but he is so good at everything else and people love him and he wants to make guys better and people just like you talk to him and you believe in him like the, a lot of the reasons for why people thought highly of him a lot of the reasons for why the raptors were confident taking him um and taking him by the way when like they knew it was going to be seen by a lot of people as a huge risk as frankly the wrong pick a lot of people immediately said it was the wrong pick um, but they were betting on the upside and the upside was based on, yeah, he's this like six, seven, six, eight guy with like a super long wingspan and he's like really agile and, and skilled and all that. But I think more than that, it was the person. It was like, we think he has the super high ceiling and we think he's likely to get there because of who he is. And all of that was like just a little bit different to me. And I just kind of wanted to know more about him. I want to know exactly what, um, you know, his old coaches had to say about what he was like. Um, he had an interesting family story, which didn't end up actually being that big of a part of my story. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, it was a combination. Sometimes I'm drawn more to like the backstory and sometimes i'm drawn more to like the way they play on the court but for me it was both for him like i remember watching him in the preseason last year and being like every time he's on the court the raptors are more interesting to me and every time he goes to the bench i'm a little like like let, let's get scotty back in there like part of that was i think he was new but part of that was like he is like a really exciting player to watch i was just drawn to that guy like immediately 
what did you find in your sort of story search process that you found even more interesting than what you had originally thought? I think with Scotty, he had this combination of, how do I put this? Like he doesn't come off as arrogant. Like he, he talks a lot about, you know, what's best for the team. Just want to do what the coach asks them. Like even in my research, I remember finding like a game winner he had hit at Florida state and he like basically didn't want to give himself any credit for making the game winner. Um, while at the same time, like if you talk to people around him and even if you ask him like direct, like direct questions about his own game, like he has this belief in himself and this confidence that is like not <laughs> it's not it's not humble. It's not <laughs> it's like he believes that he belongs and he always kind of has. And I think he's had a vision for himself, honestly, since he was in high school of like. I'm going to get to the NBA. And when I get there, I'm not going to be just another NBA player. Um, there's another story that came out after mine that I was jealous of where it was like a list of his like affirmations and goals. And like, one of them was like, I want to be the best player on the court at all times when I'm on the court. Like one of them was like, I want to win rookie of the year. And it's like to, to step into a situation like that, where even though like what he's saying, like when he's asked about like, you know, the team and his rookie season, he's like, I just, want to fit in i want to make other guys better i want everybody to be smiling and having fun and all that that's all true but he also believes that like doing it that way like he can dominate a game that way and i i think he he is a guy that like yes the raptors have had to like work with him on like being more assertive and aggressive and looking to score because then if you're seen as a huge threat scoring like you can go do the thing you actually want to do which is pass the ball and then rack up a bunch of assists and be a point guard um but at, at the same time as them trying to like make him be more aggressive that way i i don't think that's this thing where he's like looking at this situation kind of like unsure of himself or intimidated or anything like that i think he truly has had a plan and he's like been pretty bold about following that plan and working toward it even like the the way that he approached the the pre-draft stuff uh like a year and a half ago um where he like very clearly like wanted to show teams that he could do a few things that were sort of like seen as knocks on him and show teams like i've gotten better since the end of last year and you're gonna see that if you get in the gym with me and also like i have a plan for these interviews where you're gonna come out of here like loving me and wanting to spend more time with me. And you're going to be texting me after these interviews. And they were like, like executives were doing that. Like, I, I think it is who he is. It comes very naturally to him. It's easy for him. But I think also like he's very smart and I, I think he sees the big picture. And I think he is like, you know, he kind of had a blueprint for, for what he wanted to be from a pretty young age. And like, I had absolutely no idea about any of that before I started reporting it. Wow. Yeah. And you mentioned point guards. Another piece I thought was super interesting was your last piece on Jose Alvarado. And I was reading it and there's a bunch of different guards in the mix that you interviewed and that were referenced. And I guess the first question that I have is, do you think that his success, because I think it came out of nowhere and, you know, he was ACC defensive player, um, but still undrafted do you think that this success that he's had success that guards like fred van fleet have had does that 
does that pave the way? Is this like a trend, do you think, that's happening where undersized players can come in and be really valuable role players? I hope so, because I love those kinds of players. Um, but I think the trend is not to me about undersized players exactly, because I think it's getting harder and harder for um, yeah. smaller guards to stay in the league. Um, but I think if you are one of those guys that plays taller, if you're one of those guys that can switch a little bit then compete against bigger players that can hold their own, then yeah, it's just like the bar is getting higher. And I think probably one of the reasons why he went undrafted was people just looked at him as a small guard. And now that he's in the NBA, it's like, well, he, he plays as if he has no idea that he's a small guard. He plays as if he thinks he's six, nine, um, and that's exactly how Van Vliet, Van Vliet plays. That's how, you know, I like that's how I, Alex Crusoe is one of the guys that were, was quoted in the story that um, I think that's who Alvarado had told him, like, you paved the way for me. Like, I saw what you did to go from a two way to to like being a rotation player in the league and and all of that. I think Fred Van Vliet didn't tell me exactly what Alvarado told him when they spoke, but it sounded like a kind of similar deal. Like, I think. Alvarado saw in those guys a kind of path for himself. And I think there's a reason. It's like those guys defend like crazy and they have offensive skills as well. I mean, Fred Van Vliet's an all-star at this point. Yeah. Um, but I think the idea is if you can be an elite defender at the guard spot, then you can survive. If, if your teammates have to cover for you all the time and if you can't guard multiple positions and all of that, then like you basically have to be a superstar now <laughs> uh, on the offensive end to survive. Um, but I do think at least in terms of like defense first, like really, really intense, competitive, smart, um, like the guys that are in the right places and manage to affect a game on both ends. Like if those guys are coming out of college, if those guys are coming out of wherever and teams can get a scout on them, they at least have guys that can compare them to, right? Like if they say, we think he can be sort of like a Van Vliet or like an Alvarado or whoever, I think that helps. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I, I think you have to sort of be careful when like, I don't, I don't want to start to say like every guy Alvarado size can do that because if they could, then Alvarado wouldn't stand out that much. And, and we'd be seeing more guys that size kind of make it. And I think what we're actually seeing is the opposite. Like the, the bar is getting higher and higher and higher if you're a small guy. Yeah. Which makes him even more of a unicorn. I think that's what makes and his teammate Herb Jones so fascinating too, yeah. is all the things that he can do defensively and his quote, I mean, Scotty Barnes, Alvarado and uh, Herb Jones, all guys that lead the way with defense really. Um, and that mm -hmm. are good passers and, and can kind of be unicorns in their own way and haven't been seen as these like offensive, you know, fire, fire powers, you know? Yeah. I think I, I love when, when Herb Jones and Alvarado are on the court together. Like, I just, I think some of those, especially when like the, when the Pelicans have Larry Nance at the five spot, like they're closing the games most of the time with, with Nance at the five. Now the last few games, Jose's played the whole like fourth quarter and, and it started with that Houston game where he basically dominated it. Um, but the Pelicans are like, they have a ton of firepower. Like their team is built to be an elite offense, even though the shooting isn't that great. Like they just destroy teams on the inside. And I think what you're looking at from now until the end of the season are, is like, can they find that balance of like all that firepower being that efficient offensive team while also getting enough stops to beat the best teams in the NBA. And I think, Willie Green's playing around with the lineups to, to try to get to that point. And 
I really like the look that they've been going with lately in the fourth quarter where Alvarado has been on the court and Nance has been on the court. Um, it gets trickier to like slot Herb Jones into that lineup when it's like crunch time because you have Ingram and CJ and Zion on, on the team. But like throughout the game, you, you can see the Pelicans get to some really good defensive lineups, even if they're not like a top flight defensive team. Is it more difficult for Willie Green, in your opinion, to make decisions now that Zion and when Zion is healthy? In a way, um, I think he enhances what they do. He lets them do a lot more, but I think they're still doing a lot of experimenting. Um, the point Zion stuff that we saw from, you know, the last time he was healthy when Van Gundy was, was the coach, that was like so exciting. Um, but it was obviously going to look different when he came back because like, it's a completely different team. Now it's a new coach. Uh, CJ McCollum was not on the team before the bench is like totally different now, but I mean, just finding the space, uh, within a game, even finding a space within just a possession to be like, all right, we're empowering Zion to be the decision maker here, the playmaker here. Like it, it gets a little trickier because CJ needs his possessions doing that. Brandon Ingram needs his possessions doing that. You have other guys like Jose Alvarado, um, Devontae Graham, Dyson Daniels all think of themselves as point guards. They are not always the guy bringing the ball up the court when they're when they're on the floor, but just by virtue of the fact that all these guys are on the team and getting minutes means there's going to be fewer possessions that Zion Williamson is like bringing the ball up and, and doing that. And we know he's so good at that. And it's only in recent games that Zion has gotten to do that stuff a little bit more. And I still don't think they have found the like just natural, easy rhythm of like, we are just flowing from one action to another where like Zion and CJ are playing in harmony and making each other better and all of this stuff. I think they're still working through all of that. Yeah. And I think where their offensive numbers are, despite that is like pretty impressive because they're it's, they're kind of still in preseason mode. Like they're still in experimentation mode. They Zion missed some time. Ingram missed some time. Um, CJ was shooting like terribly to start the year for some reason. Um, but I think the ceiling's really high. It's just, they have, that stuff to balance and they just have a lot of good players so the, yeah. the rotation is not obvious and simple it's a good problem to have but it's also like a legit problem and like those decisions once you start talking later in the season once they've had the time and once they kind of know what's what like when you're in a playoff series and you're figuring out who you're going to start you're going to close games with who's going to play with whom like that stuff can like swing an entire game and like swing an entire series so they they, they do have like a sort of serious thing to do here which is like basically figuring out like how the chemistry is, is going to work. There's like a lot of one-sided players on this team. A lot of good players, you put them together in a different way and they really complement each other well. But, you know, I, I guess Brandon Ingram's probably the best guy who's in terms of like balanced offensively and defensively. And that makes things tricky, I think, in terms of just what that lineup looks like. Another really great defender that you featured was Shea. I love Shea so much. I think he's yeah. one of the most underrated players in the league. This year, he's finally, I feel like, getting – he's broken through to mainstream, you know? I feel yeah. like he was he was every, like, hoop heads, you know, one of their favorite watches last year until he got shut down um, yeah. due to whatever, injury or tanking or both. And now it's like, yeah, he's there. You know, 40-point games, game winners – what was the process of you deciding you wanted to feature him? And like, when did that pop into your mind? 
So that one wasn't as like intensive as some of the other ones we talked about. That was basically like the thunder in town. And I knew I wanted to write about his defense. He is maybe the most improved player in the NBA right now, even without the defensive improvement. <laughs> like yeah. he is, he's been so crazy. Like the reason why it seems like he is getting all this attention. He didn't, he didn't used to, even though he was so great last year, like he's third in the league in scoring. Like he's yeah. like John Morant. Um, isn't averaging as many points in the paint as Shea is this year. And Jaw was like, I think he leads the league in drives per game. He does. I mean, he, but he, but he has like, yeah. I think this is the third straight year. He's led the league in drives per game, but he is so much better in terms of like the finishing numbers. He yeah. is actually weirdly like he's shooting far fewer threes, but it doesn't matter because his mid range numbers are completely insane. Um, his usage is like near the top of the league. Um, just what he's doing night to night is so difficult, but yet he makes it look so easy on, on the offensive end where, where it looks like it's hard is the other end where I, I think he clearly, like if you go and watch the tape from his rookie year of the Clippers versus what he was doing most nights with the, the thunder the last few years, like it was different and it was understandable. Um, but he always had this defensive potential. He just wasn't quite doing it. And I mean, I just wanted to kind of ask him some questions about that. Ask you know, ask Mark Digno about that, ask teammates about that, because I thought like, it's just so impressive that he's doing both at the same time. You don't, you don't usually see the big jump on both ends. Um, and he is just, he has been on it. Like he's been locked in pretty much every game. The Thunder have not been amazing defensively every game, but they have overall had a really good defense, especially in the half court. Um, Poku and- shut Al Horford down. Poku is like so fun to watch right now. And it's not even, it's not even because he's doing all this like crazy, like, Oh my God, like how did this guy do that? It's just like, he's just being solid, which I don't think is like what people were always anticipating out of Poku is that he'd be like a good complimentary role player because he just looked like such a weird prospect with such a high ceiling. And like, he still has that ceiling, but I think it's cool that he has like settled into being like a kind of normal player right now. That's actually somebody else I want to write about. But, I, was, um, I literally in my head was like, like <laughs> that'd be a perfect James Herbert. I'm we're guy. trying. We're trying here. Yeah. Um, but but um, whether or not I get to write that, like it, it has been fun watching him do that. And like what Shay is doing, just like being disruptive off the ball, giving more effort on the ball. It's kind of like a little bit of everything. Um and then the numbers are nuts. Like he's like second in the league in, in stocks. If that were a real category, it's up there in deflections. It's like second in steals. Like it's the, the work he's putting in on that end, in addition to just the like ridiculous load that he's carrying offensively is really impressive. And like, you just, you don't see a lot of guys doing that. And they brought over Chip England from San Antonio, mm-hmm. the shot doctor who's just known for improving players, three point shots by like 3% period pretty much everywhere he goes everything he does right what do you think Shea is if he has like a consistent three-point shot I mean it's it's funny because it's like I want to say like oh he's unguardable but like I sort of think he's unguardable now now like now unguardable so it's like does it it, I guess it, it makes guys close out a little hard on him it makes guys um like basically never go under screens i guess that would help but it's like the he's he's just such a unique like he's just so such a different player like what he does is distinct from what like somebody like jaw even does what he does is is probably a little more similar to what chris paul does who he surely learned from when they when they were teammates for 
a year, but it's just, it is even different from that because it's all about like angles. It's this herky jerky thing to keep defenses off guard. Um, it's not about like getting a step and then like just full on accelerating, blowing by guys. Like he's not, he's not not fast, but he's usually not going super fast. Like he's, he's making quick moves. Um, but I don't even think he needs like a lights out pull up jumper or anything. Like he, he is a good spot up shooter now. Um, and it's just, you're seeing him take fewer of those spot up shots because he's usually the one creating the offense this year. Um, but I mean that, that could change depending on, on who's on the team. But I think, yeah, I think you've seen him basically make a conscious choice this year. Like I don't need to look for that pull up three, um, because I can get wherever the hell I want and I can get a bucket whenever my team needs it. Yeah. Almost like DeRozan-esque in some ways mm-hmm. in terms of angles and mid-range but a lot of people do compare Shea and Jaw to one another why do you think that is I think because they they're both such good finishers they're both really young they're both exciting but I do think there are like key differences in terms of their style like I Shea could never be the kind of athlete that that Jaw could be and while they're both like crafty and smart and cerebral play- players for sure uh Shea's just like there's just kind of nobody like him I think, honestly, like, besides James Harden, I I can't think of another, like, downhill driver as good as Shea in, like, like I don't know, like, decades. I, I The numbers sort of speak for themselves. Like, you, you can't – there's not really a defense equipped to deal with him right now. I thought it, it spoke volumes when the Celtics were just throwing double teams at him the other day because they never do that. <laughs> but yeah. I think combination of the fact that, like, they – that was their best strategy because nobody was shutting him down one-on-one. And the fact that they were basically like, all right, like he is their number one, two, and three option. It's not like somebody else, like we're, we're scared of them. So we're just going to get the ball out of his hands like that led them down that path. Um, but I think that was like the ultimate sign of respect that like the Boston Celtics who have Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and all of these guys are just like, yeah, actually what we're going to do is we're going to put two of those guys on you. <laughs> You talk about uh, just like sort of how hard it is for small players to be in this league because, you know, the league is getting – it's getting, like, more versatile. I, I interviewed Nick Nurse during Summer League. We spent about an hour together, and, and he mentioned to me kind of in detail what he wants from a player. And 6'7 to 6'9 with a positive wingspan that can do all the things that a point guard can do and all yeah. the things that a big can do is something that I think, you know – in your article, it's you know, how the NBA is resizing again leads me now to, to think about Paolo. And, yeah. um, and I watched him at the garden and I saw him and they had Franz Wagner running the point and everyone on the floor was like six, nine. Um, they don't win a lot of games, but do you think that size could actually contend? Can that, is that a winning lineup now in the NBA? Well, not Orlando's version, but I think that idea is like can win games now. I think Toronto overachieved for that reason last year. I, I was like that garden. That's where I did all those interviews. Like I was at that game and like that's where I spoke to Paolo and that's where I spoke to Wendell and Terrence Ross and Cole Anthony and all that. Like that was not unusual, though. Like they that's every game this year. And part of that is based on stuff well, they can't control and didn't and, anticipate. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, like, Markel hasn't played this year. Gary Harris, I think, is about to make his season debut. 
Um, you know, Jalen Suggs missed a game or two earlier on. Um, Cole Anthony's been out for a little while. Like, th this has been their best option because they haven't had a lot of other options. But I think in the past, like, even I don't think that that long ago, like, I think four or five years ago, if a team was dealing with this kind of thing, you would see them call up a, a like traditional point guard from the G League or something. Yeah. And they just, no, we don't need to do that. Why? Like, why should we we'll just give it to Wagner, give it to Paolo? Like, we need to get those guys playmaking reps anyway. Like, they're going to maybe lose some games because of it, but this is what they're trying to develop in their guys regardless. And it's to me, it's very similar to what the Raptors were doing. It's just some of the lineups are even bigger because they happen to have a 7-2 Bull Bull on their team who plays like a wing and, like, basically like believes he's a wing. Like if you watch the stuff that he does, like it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and then also their, their other bigs, like on offense, they're all stationed along the three point line and they're, you know, it's not that they are knockdown guys, but if their feet are set and if they're in rhythm, like there's no, why would Mosley not allow Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter to shoot threes? You should like that. That is, that is where the league is going. Um, and I think defensively, the, the the upside of having that much length and that much size is like pretty obvious. Um, these guys are very young, so the Magic are not an elite defense right now. But I think even when it wasn't so extreme, like like last year, just seeing the the front line before they got Paolo, like when they had Wagner and Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba in the front court, like that was a really good defensive unit, and that was an interesting like front court to watch offensively it's just you you introduce a talent like paolo who's just insane and like might be the best passer on the team um as well as being a guy that is like a walking mismatch he can go in the post he can isolate like do all of this stuff like that's just that is what like everybody is looking for um in the nba i don't think people think of him as like this like crazy unicorn freak like generational like what what even is this the way that people talk about like Wemby or even the way people like when they first saw Chet a few years ago, would have said it. But like, to me, like the, the skill package that he has as an offensive player at that size is kind of mind blowing. Like he is I, an enormous guy when you stand next to him and he, he, he plays exactly like a guard. Yeah. I, I don't think people realize that because he's so proportional and yeah. you hear the size, like you hear 6'10, 250, but seeing 6'10, 250 yeah. <laughs> is just different, right? Yeah. Like when I, when he's, I mean, he's bigger and I always do it like, all right, well, he's two inches bigger than LeBron, you know? Yeah. He's like just a little shorter than Mitchell Robinson, like maybe yeah. even the same height. Like it's just sort of nuts. Or what was it? Hartenstein, he was just like a little bit shorter than when yeah. you actually got in front of him face to face. Can you sort of explain that? Because I've never had that with any player in the league because they're all sort of out of proportion, except for LeBron, but it's it's just somehow it's different. Yeah, I think the way that I put it is there are certain rookies that just do not look like rookies whatsoever. Um, honestly, Scotty is kind of like that last year. Like I remember watching him just in – like not even in person, like just watching him on TV in summer league and being like, oh, he's like bullying guys, like cool. And then you see him do the same thing to like NBA veterans. And you're like, all right, this guy is like kind of built in a different way than most of these guys. Cause like a lot of times it, it's normal. It makes sense. These rookies come in, it takes them like two, three, four years for them to get strong enough to like just 
survive the rigors of a season and take contact on the inside and all of that. And like Paolo is just, he is not that at all. Like he was a, just a physically dominant in college. And I think a lot of the time when a guy is physically dominant in college, the question is, all right, is he skilled enough to do this at the next level when he doesn't have that advantage every night? And it turns out, well, A, yes, because he's yeah. skilled as hell. And B, like the vast majority of the time, he still has that advantage because if you're going to put, um, a guy that is quick enough to to guard him and, and stay with him, a lot of the time he's going to be just stronger, bigger, more powerful. And if you're going to try to put a bigger dude on him, a lot of the time Paolo can just like go right by him. I think you're seeing like a trend of tall kids being more skilled and thus young players being bigger and more skilled every year. So like, I don't know what Paolo's like advantage over the average kind of four-man or whatever if we're even talking in those positions like five six years from now i don't know what that will look like but as of now i mean there are guys who can like credibly guard him but there's not it's not a long list yeah no it's not and offensively he's super gifted like you said just an incredible passer his vision willingness to pass i think it's really interesting you you mentioned that sometimes you have to do non-features like go to barclays and listen to Kyrie um and you wrote a ton about I think tomorrow I'll be doing that I'm guessing I'm guessing since he's supposed to play Sunday I'm guessing he'll practice tomorrow and he'll talk yeah what are your like what's your take on kind of what happens next and does it die down at all or do we see this kind of for the rest of the year well I think it's up to him I think the bar has been raised pretty high just looking at all of these statements that are coming out about um how we like basically people vouching for him whether it's jalen brown and other people in the players association whether it's like just public comments even from adam silver and Sai saying that he believes Kyrie is sincere like all of this stuff um the nets have set the stage for him to return it's been reported that he is like expected to return on sunday but like as far as I know, even, even though he is not necessarily bound at this point by the reported list of six action items or or whatever, I'm assuming the, the one about him speaking to the media um, and kind of disavowing specific parts of the film directly, I'm, I'm guessing that's still part of it. And so, like, let's see what he says, because he had a couple opportunities to do just that. Um, and he had a week to think about whether or not he wanted to. And he like very specifically didn't. He was defiant and he didn't want to say that he did anything wrong exactly. And he didn't really want to get into the details of what he disagreed with and what he agreed with. And in his apology on Instagram, like he said, he he apologized for not explicitly stating what he agreed with and disagreed with. Okay, he's apologized. He hasn't done that yet, though. So will he do that when we ask him the questions? Like, I, I don't know. I'll be there, and I'll, it's, it's a kind of a hard setting to get a question in. So I haven't gotten that many questions directly into Kyrie when I've been there, but I'll try. Um, but even if I don't, like, I know, like, you know, the other Nets, like, Nick Friedel is going to get some awesome questions in there because he's been, like, killing it on the story the whole time. Like, So I am I am fascinated to see where it goes, but, I mean, I don't. I don't know how I can make a prediction at this point. I just know that like 
the burden is like definitively on him because everybody's kind of stuck their neck out for him and said that they believe that his intentions are pure and, and, and all of this stuff. And like, that's what happened in a much smaller way already when the, the nets and he and anti-defamation league put out a statement. Um, and then the next day, frankly, like Kyrie embarrassed himself and the ADL and the nets for putting out that statement. So if he does it again, like if, who is he embarrassing He's embarrassing a lot more people and it's going to be way worse because it, followed that other thing so um i i hope that like he comes out and he clearly states he disagrees with like the thesis of the film um and he like explains himself a little bit and explains what he's been doing over the past i don't know week and a half however long two weeks however long it's been um and that he demonstrates that like he he kind of gets it but i don't know um, I'm I it wasn't like fun to write the article they did about the Kyrie thing like I'd much rather just talk about basketball and cover like I there's like Nets basketball storylines that are interesting um but I haven't written a ton about that honestly this year yeah yeah I, I just have a couple of other non uh non-feature article related questions because just as a fan I grew up in Portland and mm -hmm. Damian Lillard obviously a one-way guard, you know, and kind of an undersized one-way guard. Obviously a superstar offensively, but always been a defensive liability. Portland for the last three three years, obviously that 2019 Western Conference Finals run, they were a decent defensive team, but kind of not really. And I didn't really think that there was ever a way for a Damian Lillard-led team to be top five, top seven, top ten in defense. But – here they are, right? Like yeah. they bring in Jeremy Grant and they get some sort of undersized wings, but that are very gritty and athletic and have some of those same attributes that you mentioned that Jose Alvarado has. Like yeah. in your viewpoint, when you watch the Blazers, how are they doing this defensively? <laughs> um, they're doing it by being super active. They're doing it by being super aggressive and they're fighting. They're, they're using what they do have. Like they, I mean, it's a little different, like when if they have Nurkic on the court versus if they're playing smaller. Um, but they even when he's on the court, like if he is, um, like regardless of like what coverage that that he's playing, like they need the the wings to be covering ground and helping and recovering. And like those guys are doing that. Like they they have length on the perimeter. They have better point of attack defense. I, I've liked what I've seen with Justice Winslow this season jeremy grant i think has fit in as well as well as they'd hoped um this year little you saw some um honestly i, I think he was like better like on as a more complete like two-way player before he got hurt last year but i mean defensively he's still like he's still got those attributes he's still able to contribute that and you've seen that from him um the, the wild thing to me is like i think they're the best defender they have on the team hasn't played yet and that's gary Payton in the second and that can add a whole other dimension. I mean, he might be like the literal best one-on-one -on -one defender in the NBA. Um, he is probably not going to win any defensive player of the year awards because he's not going to play like 30 plus minutes. And it's hard for a non-big to, to do that. But I mean, he's like wildly good and they haven't even had him. And he's a guy that can switch. He can play um, like guard bigger guys. And then as, as a guy that can like just pressure opposing point guards there i don't think there's anybody better so like i've liked the approach i've liked the coaching from from chauncey billups they're just trying to be disruptive trying to get in passing lanes trying to speed other teams up trying to 
just put some pressure on them in a different way. Like they, they had historically played a pretty conservative style of defense. Chauncey tried to change that last year, but he didn't really have the personnel for it to be effective. Um, but I think, I mean, I haven't spoken to him about this, but I'm guessing what, what he would say is that like, even what they did last year, they were losing almost every night, but he was still laying the groundwork for what they're doing now. Um, because before they even got the personnel that could make it work, they're teaching some of the personnel, like how to do it. And so I, I think it looks a lot better now. I love that they're playing a ton of zone. I think you kind of have to do that. Um, if you are trying to make up for say like a lack of like mobile big men or maybe you're just trying to make up for having a couple of guards who were not super sturdy de defensively because like simon's is bigger than cj but in theory it's like basically the same issue that, that they had yeah. when, when it was cj and dame but i mean they're they're doing their best to mask that i, I think dame has i mean i guess it's it 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 depends which season you're looking at, but I think for the most part in his career, like, yeah, he's been a below average defender. He has sometimes in certain matchups been like a straight up liability, but I think he does like care about defense. He's not like a horrific defender. He, he can be in the right place. He is a very smart basketball player. So like, as long as he's like not dying on too many screens, as long as like he is basically in the right place and executing a coverage like i think you can make up for his deficiencies on, on the defensive end it might stop you from being like the number one defense over the course of an 82 game season but i mean they're doing like really well right now um and i i do think their ceiling will be higher once they get peyton integrated um but i mean it's just been fun like it's fun to see that team getting stops and running it's fun to see them sort of looking like they're they're more than the sum of their parts and like you know they just have a bunch of new energy in there and like even like i'm watching shaden sharp who did not have a sterling defensive reputation um coming into the nba but like you know he's, he's switching on to stars and competing at least on the defensive end and he's long and he might make mistakes and whatever but like he's a big dude he's an athlete and he's trying and i think everybody on the blazers really bought into the game plan on the defensive end so that 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 has been a treat to watch yeah, I agree. I think this team could be a real – I didn't believe it at first, but I think this team could be an actual dark horse given how wide open the West is, issues with the Warriors, issues with the Grizzlies in terms of, you know, you take Bane out, you take Jaw out, and you really have a bad team. You know what I mean? Um, I watched them play the Wizards the other day, and without Jaw and Bane, it is really ugly to watch. Like, Jaron Jackson, obviously an up-and-down player. Uh, another player I think you you – I could see you featuring – very interesting dude, Jeremy Sohan. I just, yeah. just another darling um, of the NBA. I think right away, what comes to mind, you just see him that dunk last night, just like Rodman 2.0, like the body, mm -hmm. the moves, the swag, like, yeah. What do you think? No. So I will say, um, I actually, I wrote about him right at the draft. Um, so you, you nailed my interest in him. Like I, I spoke to him, I think the day before the draft and I just found him so interesting as a story moved around all over the place, just has a kind of different perspective on basketball. Um, and I mean, you watch him even like look at him in college, like he's legitimately guarding all five positions. I, I think people say that, um, and it sounds nice, but the amount of people who actually do that night tonight in the NBA, like it's, it's a very, very short list, but like he does that. And he's doing that in the NBA the other night when they were shorthanded, like to watch like pops, just like, yeah, we're going to make him the point guard. And he's the point guard. He's bringing it up. 
And then he's playing point guard defensively because he was matched up the primary defender on Stephen Curry, like chasing him around screens. And he loves it. You can tell like he's he's like a sicko. Like he lives to do this stuff. He lives to annoy the hell out of people defensively. Um, I don't know if you saw the the Stephen Adams quote from after that yeah. game. That, that was like just like the funniest thing that's happened this season. Um, yeah, he's like pinching but, Stephen Adams' nipples. And yeah, like... <laughs> super weird, but like <laughs> incredible. Um, and then like, like I know he's not like the most polished offensive player or whatever, but like he's an incredible passer. Um, he is a strong physical guy who like when he gets downhill can finish like he's he's not unskilled offensively uh, um just the shot is coming along and he's not a great like scorer yet but you can see it you can see why the spurs fell in love with him and it's like it's this like really cool mix of hustle guy um defensive stopper but then also like legit playmaker smart player mature guy um interesting guy fun guy like he is like i'm absolutely like all in on the, the sohan experience i love that he took rodman's number and is dying his hair all different colors he, he did that a little bit at, at, at baylor last year too and i think he's just i mean even just like he was beloved at baylor and like he gets to stay in texas and, like i saw like he had that big dunk last night and yeah. scott drew like tweeted out the the highlight and i was like yeah that's nice like i'm just yeah. I'm, I'm all in on, on this guy's story he's 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 awesome well, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Um, enjoy or at least get through the Kyrie coverage. Hopefully um, yeah. hopefully that comes to an end soon and we get to see another feature. Do you have any other other plans of any features that we should watch out for? Um, I feel like I said too much with the Poco thing, Poku thing already. I don't know if I'm actually doing that, but I want to. Um, no, I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll see what comes together. Um, but yeah, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that's been awesome. Where can we find your work? I uh, just at cbsports.com in the NBA section. That's where all of my stuff ends up. And hopefully Twitter still. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I tweet my stories. I, I will keep doing that as long as we have a, yep. a working functional website. We'll, we'll see. Awesome. <laughs> if not, I'll see you wherever I see you, James. It's hundred percent appreciated. Awesome insight. Awesome energy and excitement. I can tell you love the league about as much as I do. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Many thanks to James Herbert for joining the show today. That is all the time that we have for the Heat Check. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which drop pretty much every day. Follow the Heat Check as this season is heating up. Do not forget to download. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Every single damn one of them. And follow us on social at, at this heat check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Twitter, whenever it stays around, and Instagram. <laughs>